I am Brother Cornell West, and this is Hip Hop Can Save America. Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces. Just wanted to let you know that Hip Hop Can Save America is now available as a live stream show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. You can find it at hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Excerpts from that show will be played here on the audio feed, so you'll still get the good interviews that you've been used to. But check out the live stream and check out my free Substack newsletter at mannyfaces.substack.com. That's filled with all kinds of stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and generally hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. For everything hip-hop can save America, hiphopcansaveamerica.com. For everything Manny Faces, mannyfaces.com. And if you find value in this work, you can support it. We'd love to have you aboard as a supporter at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Now let's go. On this episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's smartest hip hop podcast, scholar, youth leader, minister, poet, rapper, and content curator for probably the largest hip hop based education community in the world, Timothy David Jones. My name is Manny Faces. Let's go. The thing about hip hop uh, today is it's smart, it's insightful. The, the way that they can communicate uh, a complex message in a very short space is, is remarkable. And a lot of these kids, they're not going to be reading the New York Times. That's not how they're getting their information. So hip hop didn't invent anything, but hip hop reinvented everything. Education doesn't always take place in the halls of an academic institution. And even when it does, it doesn't have to come from traditionally accredited educators following what many call outdated instructional guidelines. Guidelines that all too often fail to take into account the unique cultural attributes of many students in America. For decades, Timothy David Jones has been proven that there's a better way by incorporating a hip-hop ethos in his work educating and counseling young people. When he's not alone, Timothy is the chief visionary officer at hashtag HipHopEd, a digitally birthed organization with a sprawling membership of brilliant educators and passionate advocates that know just how powerful this intersection can be and how urgent it is for teachers and administrators across the country to understand and implement these ideas. In this episode, Timothy, who's currently a lecturer and hip-hop scholar-in-residence at Teachers College at Columbia University, details his own path to hip-hop-based education, his company techniques for learning, how he e-stumbled into his hip-hop ed role, and, as an ordained minister, how religion and spirituality all blend into the mix. Here's my talk with Timothy David Jones. First of all, thank you for taking the time out, especially on a, on a Hip Hop Ed Tuesday. I appreciate, you know. <laughs> you know it's all good. It's all good. taking the time. Uh, I've given folks a little bit of an idea, you know, who you are and, and why we're talking. Uh, but, of course, a lot of us in this game wear a lot of hats. And you, sir, mad hatter, I would say. <laughs> um, so rather than just rattle off a list of, you know, all the things, I'm sure yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. drill down and get into it. But how do you present yourself to the world from your, your place in society? <laughs> well, uh, more times than not, uh, definitely th- through the lens of hip hop, Ed, um, the chief visionary officer. Uh, I am the main curator and moderator for the weekly chats. I'm a youth developer by profession. For the past two years, I've started my own practice called Techniques for Learning, which is a play on the technique turntables. And so the way DJs create the perfect mix to rock a party, I create what I hope to be the perfect mix for a particular learning environment. Outside of that, I am an ordained minister. So I'm a Christian, a father and a husband. Those are really like the the buckets of how I would present myself if I'm trying to capture the full essence uh, of me, or I could just succinctly say I'm hip hop. That's what's up. Yeah. So, but, and those are the things that you kind of do as well. In other words, that's how you, yes. your activities, mm-hmm. your, you know, yes. how you make a living yep. and or all this stuff. Yes. Yes. Um, without a doubt. We've 
known of each other for for some time. I've certainly been watching all the yes. things you do, and 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 I, of course, you I think encapsulate and embody a lot of the things uh, that I'm tra- the stories I'm trying to tell here, and the individuals who we try to have here. Because it is that mix of of innovation in youth development, education, uh, using hip hop, music, and culture, obviously to improve mm-hmm. to improve yep. humanity, and what you do, and especially you with you know your affiliations, really exemplify that. You also spit a little bit. You're also a a, a, a lyricist, <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yes. A rapper, poet, right? Yeah, You've yeah. also been sort of on the yeah, artistic yeah. side of things as well. Yes, um, no doubt. And and I say that to say, you know, where, did the chicken or the egg come? What started your path? using hip-hop more than just entertainment? Let's go back a little bit. What was your earliest kind of, okay. you know? That's a great question. You know, I, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I just turned 52. So in some ways, I, I say I grew up with hip-hop. Parallel, uh, I, I, I say, yeah. Yeah, when, when, when yeah. I look back, I realize now that it was actually a part of my life before I really knew what it was as like, oh, this is hip hop. For me, it was like, oh, I see graffiti art. I, I would love to stay out past my curfew when the DJs are DJing in the park and other things like that. Mm. Uh, but in 86, I went to Howard University. And while at Howard University, in my senior year, I worked with a group and we formed uh, what became the Cultural Initiative. And in February 1991, we had the first national hip hop conference to be held on a college or university. There was some industry conferences that had taken place before, actually in New Jersey, but this was the first one where the target audience was college students and it was called uh, Hip Hop at its Crossroads, Seizing the Cultural Initiative. Mm. And that was probably, that was the first time where it was beginning to look at not only the current impact of hip hop, but to start thinking about what's the potential for this budding culture that we just finished the eighties where there was a whole lot of growth in the eighties and we're going into the nineties. It was looking at hip hop from a social economical standpoint, from a political standpoint, all these different lanes. And so that ran, we had a total of six conferences as the conference ended in 96. I ended up transitioning into a youth development space. My degree was in accounting. I was an accountant for five years, uh, working some government contract work. That came to an end. I had this kind of crossroads moment where it's like, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do? Because my plan isn't seeming to work. So maybe we could remix it or maybe (laughs) we throw the whole album out and do a new one. And all along the way, I have been a fan of hip hop, but never expressed myself artistically in it. It was putting on the parties. It was managing the DJ. So I was doing all of these other things. And so uh, I started working with young people with high school students. And I also started teaching at a school because back in the day when you're hustling, working with young people, you had to have more than one job to be able to make the ends still meet. Do, so yeah, I would yeah. still do, but definitely <laughs> yeah. mid nineties, it was really a grind. So I started working this after school program, but then I also started through this subset of AmeriCorps called Writers Corps. And we had to teach creative writing workshops inside of schools. My degree is in business, so I was not your well read pulling out literature and this, that, and the other. So the only poetry I knew was hip hop. And thankfully in 96, when it was the old school dial up internet, there was this website called the original hip hop lyrics archive. And I used to religiously go there. Ola or something. Yes, yes, yes. O-H-H-L-A.com. I'm talking to to a brother that's old enough to remember like this predates Genius, Google and everything else. And so I I literally started pulling off lyrics and started creating lessons. And honestly, I was doing what felt good to me because I wasn't an experienced teacher, but I knew enough to know. I really started looking at it from a business side. That's like, okay, these students are my customers. They're into hip hop. Hip hop is what I know. So let's start seeing what we can come up with. And so I started in 96, second, third week of school, Tupac dies. Mm. 
changes everything. Right. Because I'm sitting in Washington, D.C., inside a classroom, predominantly boys. What, le- what level is this? What, what grade level? This was middle school. Okay. This was middle school age. So sixth, seventh, and eighth. Yeah. But a lot of these were students who had been put out of their traditional English classes mm. and sent to me because it's like, oh, a black man inside of the school building that's <laughs> not the gym teacher, custodian, security guard, you know. Right. Not that there's anything wrong with those roles, but when you walk in schools, you can kind of see patterns. Yeah. And then also because I wasn't a teacher, I felt like they was kind of like, yo, if we if we got a place that we can put these students that seemingly nobody else wants to teach and he's going to deal with them, <laughs> let them have at it. And right. so when I saw how they were grieving Pac, now mind you, these are 11, 12, 13, 14 year old young people. They weren't old enough to have gone to concerts. Right. This is mid 90s. Some of them may not have had cable. So they didn't necessarily have the exposure, but they had the music. And so we just started what I call Beat to the Rhyme, where we started diving into the lyrics and having conversations. And then they started writing. And so that started my artistry as a writer because I started writing poems to them. But I used a pseudonym because I still was a little a little hesitant. So I grew up watching Transformers. So I call myself Optimus because it's the opportunity and time for us. And Tim, my name was in the middle. Got it. So they would ask, who was this poet? And I'm like, hey, you know, this is who I got when I was researching, putting together my lessons. And it wasn't until the end of the year that I told them that it was me. Right. And so then the students was like, yo, you know, Mr. Tim, you kind of nice. Like you should continue this. And so then while at my after school program, we took it a step further. We said we were going to record an album. And so in working with them, that's where I started rhyming. Got it. Because I was rhyming with them because we had to see, is it even possible to record an entire hip hop album without cursing, but still being true to what we're feeling at the time? Sure. And so at first, I'm, I'm just helping them still playing the back. It's a community-based project, and we had donated studio time, donated producers. So when we're going to the studio, I'm telling my young people, like, listen, we got to respect their time. You got to be ready. You got to hit it and quit it. Like, Mm -hmm. you you almost got to be one one take J with this (laughs) because I don't want them to regret letting us in. And so it was one one of my students who probably was my best MC, and he accidentally forgot half of his rhyme. He he forgot the paper. So there was a 16 bar space. Yeah. And we needed to record the song. And so the producer was a friend of mine. And so literally they was like, yo, Tim, you got to fill it. I'm like, what? And so I just went in and just came off the head and just continued on with it, thinking that, okay, maybe we'll get a chance to come back in and fill it in with the verse, but it ended up making the cut. And so that was really where I kind of started this artist side of just emceeing as well as with, um, you familiar with Tony Blackman? Of course. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Freestyle Union also started in DC in 94. So I was around it, but like I said, and then at the time, not even realizing that it was activating that same gift inside of me. Right. I just was around it and immersing myself in it. But once I started working with the teenagers, it came out as a way to connect with them. That's funny because you know, I said in the beginning, was it chicken or the egg? And you're like, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like both. Yeah. <laughs> like it kind of. Yeah. It, 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 no, it, it really was. It kind of came. And that was why I really wanted to tell it the way it is because one wouldn't be here without the other. That's interesting. That's it. Because, you know, yeah, a lot of times it'll be, yeah, I used to be an artist and then I found my way into education or, you know, or, yeah. or an educator, you know, this was like kind of like simultaneous. And, and again, simultaneously. You- but if anything, I would say that I was in an educational bind right. that I was able to get through by tapping into an artistry that I didn't even realize existed inside of me. Well, hip hop is the mother of invention. 
Yeah. So I ended up I ended up being educated while educating. That's what's up. And now taking it back to uh, to Howard's the, the conference real quick. That was a pretty forward thinking concept at the time. Oh, oh yes. Without without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, it was because it, it was it was a group of us led by a sister named April Silver, Raz Baraka, who is now the mayor my man. <laughs> of Newark. That's my man. Uh, they were they, they were our student government's president and vice president. And so for lack of a better term, this conference was really our capstone project. So we were all part of the student government. We were working with uh, a brother named Hak Islam, who had a record company, and we just connected with some people. And we also was able to take advantage of, I feel like that time was the heightened time for college reps for record companies. Right. Record companies would break artists by having them come and do promo shows at colleges and things like yeah, that. College radio was big. Yeah. yeah, college radio was big because college was the place where I feel you can get the max out of your promotional dollars. Because if I come to Howard and I rock it, then the students who represent all different cities across the country and even beyond will then take it back and say, yo, I saw this group called Leaders of the New School or KRS-One came through here or Latifah came through here. And so now I'm I'm more attentive when their albums come out, when I'm yeah. watching you on TV raps. It's like, yo, that <laughs> yeah. person came to Howard. And, and then also in 91, it was about highlighting all of the careers that were behind the scenes. It's like, you think about it, you and I are old enough to remember when the subscript, when a video came out, didn't tell you who it was directed by. It just said the title of the song and the record company and the artist. Right. That you remember having to pull out the the, the <laughs> information from the cassette to figure out like, right, oh, the line of notes, the line of yeah. notes, like, oh, this person produced that or what is an A&R? What right. is public? What is a publicist and all of those other things? And, and how does journalism play into that? So this conference was also an opportunity for individuals to see different career paths. So if you have a passion for music. If you're creative, we would have a fashion show that was attached to it. So it really helped us kind of open our eyes that we could be a part of this culture without necessarily being the front facing artists that we see. Similarly to how now you have all of these different careers within the sports industry that people can attach to because they have a love for sports. But they never was sitting on the bench as as a professional athlete or something like that. That's that's super important to look at it that way. Again, to to even just take the step of hip hop outside of entertainment, you have to make those baby steps. In other words, it's not just we can we can talk about all the other aspects of the entertainment business. Exactly. The entertainment, you know, and how culture coincides. And we could talk say fashion is a huge offshoot. Yeah. Uh, journalism was a, was a huge offshoot. Politics and activism was a huge offshoot. Exactly. Exactly. Taking advantage of of that, showing young people or, you know, college is still young, that there are so many other avenues, I think, is one of the things that helps open up people's eyes to later developing programs like the ones you ended up, you know, developing. Yeah. That involve hip hop in educational settings more officially, more as as a real as a field, and, and again leading up to you know hip hop ad or hip hop based education. Yeah, uh, those were important, laying the groundwork during that time. I think definitely, definitely, without a doubt. Yeah, where did where did that lead you more a little bit more recently? So tell me a little bit more about the you told me how you started out and kind of worked it out. Yeah, so uh, and I, and it's interesting because I would say as far as youth development and using hip hop, I was consistently doing it. But it was local because once we stopped doing the conference, right. I ended up getting married, raising my family. Uh, I'm doing what I do in D.C. and maybe would do some contract work every once in a while. Uh, I remain really close with with April Silver, who's in New York, and she runs a, a public relations company called the Killer Work Song. So sometimes be like, hey, Tim, could you come up and speak and maybe do a panel or something like that? Honestly, that went on off and on till 2011. 
when I had a contract and part of the contract for my job required me to get on social media. And it was a a former mentee of mine who was working for the body that was in charge of compliance for this grant. And her thing was like, Tim, you know, you need to get on social media. This is where a lot of young people are. And so as you evolve as a director and a programmer, you need to be able to function in this space. Mm. And before that, I honestly just was apprehensive. I just didn't see it's like, hey, these are the people that I'm seeing. This is who I'm impacting and leaving it like that. Right. And it just happened as as God would have it. It was a Tuesday. It was a Tuesday in the end of March 2011. I set up a Twitter account and I remember getting home and I had my little cheat sheet, like, you know, this is to use the number sign to hurt. Like, so all of this, I'm literally <laughs> right, right. taking the babyest of steps. And this is back when Twitter was 140 characters. Right, right. So sure. it was not the 280 now. <laughs> right. And so I happened to come across hashtag hip hop ed. And I'm learning how to search and read the feed. Right. I know now that the chat had just gotten started in November 2010. So it still was just kind of finding its way. And Chris was leading it along with a brother named Sam Seidel and a brother named Brandon Frame. Like those were the main ones. And And just for for clarity, Dr. Chris Emden. Yes. Yes. And so then... I get on and I'm I'm firing, I'm firing. And <laughs> and Dr. Emden, Chris, he's he's hitting me back. And so then it was the uh, virtual brother square off. Like, yo, who are you? Like, yo, who are you? Like, I should know who you are, vice versa type thing. Because at the time, yeah, I had never interacted with uh, someone who was from Teachers College and, and different things like that. Well, And like you said, everything was local. Everything was factional. Everything was, you know, in their own bubbles around the country. Yeah. Like, yeah. And and what I was doing, like I was focusing more on workshops. So there was a uh, there's a company called the Youth Popular Culture Institute that was founded by a woman named Dr. Tandy Hicks Harper. Mm -hmm. And she actually got her Ph.D. in hip hop back in the late 80s. Right. And her and I, our paths crossed in the early 90s. So she was kind of teaching me how to use hip hop around drug prevention. Mm. So we would do government contract work and do workshops on using hip hop around AIDS prevention, drug prevention and things like that all through the 90s and early 2000s. Because remember, we're, we're coming out the crack era. Right, right. And And so I was working in that space and we had co-authored a curriculum called Hip Hop to Prevent that was part of the SAMHSA government's scientifically based curriculum. And so we were there. But in my mind, it still was kind of local unless I traveled with her. I wasn't thinking about platforms on a national stage. Right. So then when I come across Hip Hop Ed, Chris and I, we just start talking. We just start chopping it up. He's telling me who he is. I'm telling him who I am. We still hadn't met in person uh, in the spring of 2011. My mom, I was literally by my mom's side as she's dealing with pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. She eventually passes in July of, of 2011. So in some ways, Twitter was kind of just a quick escape. Right. You know, let me just jump online and do something like that. Still not realizing how it was going to impact my life. Right. And then I came up to New York to speak at NYU thanks to April. And I let Chris know that I was coming and he was like, yo, why don't you stop by Teachers College so we can meet? So then I came to the office, we chopped it up. And then that's when he asked me like, hey, I really want you to be part of the team. Not really knowing what that meant <laughs> right. because it just was, it started as a conversation on Twitter. It tied into his work coming from a standpoint of urban education and science, but it just hadn't been really formalized yet. So it was like, all right, I'm, I'm with that. Let's cool. I'm cool because for me, it took me back to being at Howard. Right. And with the cultural initiative, that's like the conference was called the cultural initiative. Then we created a company called that. So I was like, oh, this is an opportunity to kind of do that again, but do it in a different space. And so that's where 
our connection happened. And so I started just kind of moderating the chats. Mm. And then from there, uh, Science Genius gets introduced in late 2012. And we do the first one in spring 2013. So from there, it was just making these connections on a national level where based on these consistent tweets, you feel like you know the person. Right. It, and so, you know, cause even like you and I are having a conversation, but I remember Manny faces going way back on Twitter and you know, just some, some people would just kind of pass through, but then some people you follow them, they follow you, you get a feel for what they're doing. It's like, okay, that's dope. You right. still don't know how you're ever going to meet the person. Right, right. You're just building on Twitter, connecting with Chris introduced me more so to the academy that was that was delving in hip hop where I was operating in the out of school space I was operating in a different lane right like like community level right exactly yeah, yeah. exactly so him and I coming together was really mm. something that was profound because like okay we can show everyone how community is really supposed to look like. Let's break down the silos of the academy. Let's break down the perception that if you're in the community that you can't be in the academy and vice versa. Let it let our work individually and collectively kind of steer this ship so that hip hop ed would be something that you don't need a PhD to be a part of, mm. but by being a part of it, you may be inspired to go pursue a PhD, or you may just be inspired to continue to operate in the space that you're in. Right. So that is about hip hop. And that's why hip hop is before education. It's like hip hop is the mainstay. Like we want to be stakeholders and be just as cognizant of the preservation of hip hop as we are committed to the enhancement of education. Yeah. So that was him and my strategy for how we're going to to do this work. I think that's one of the most, you know, as as a non-academic, right? Yes. And as a son of a as a son of a distinguished professor of sociology, of course I didn't go to college. Because <laughs> this <laughs> Because the shoemaker's son, you know, never had yeah. shoes, um, much to his chagrin for, for many years. But a brilliant man. I got a lot from osmosis, you know, from uh, being in his uh, shadow all my life. But that ha- often comes up. Now, I've spoken at Ohio State where he used to teach, as a matter of fact. And I've, and I've spoken. I've gone around the country. I've done my thing. Uh, but not again, no PhDs, no letters after my name, no, uh, no degree on my wall. Yep. And, and I thank you and, and people who acknowledge that, that we can be a part of this, right? And that we should be a part of yeah. this. Cause I hear very often from the, uh, the community, the practitioners of hip hop. Yes, yes, yes. And they often feel shut out. They often feel like because they haven't gone the academic route, that they're not always welcomed into academic spaces. And I think what you're saying now is that that is a mistake and that, you know, that is very important for practitioners, even though they don't necessarily go the academic route to have some kind of connection or say so in how education is looked at. I mean, how, tell me how that, how you bridge that gap. It's interesting that the way, and I love the way that you presented it because it honestly is a constant, it's a constant fight, but I, I remind myself that, okay, there's no way that we, and I'm saying we as hip hop, like hip hop was created outside of the establishment and then created its own establishment. <laughs> right, exactly. So if, so if we fast forward, I feel like for us as hip hop, we can't give the keys to the kingdom to an academy that was late in embracing it and honestly embraces it only in part, if not totally, due to its failure in attempting to educate the way that it feels more comfortable educating. Mm. Meaning that if test scores were up and, and outcomes were being met, Hip hop wouldn't have never been let in the door. Right. It, you know, I'm saying that that more times than not, how many times do you hear the story of I didn't know what to do with my students? And so then I tried this 
Now you're hearing young people like, well, this is who I am. And so I'm bringing this into the space. But like I said, I'm 52. I remember when talking to sponsors for the hip hop conference and them saying, maybe if you take the word hip hop out and say African-American music, it may be more palatable. Mm -hmm. I remember going into schools and maybe doing a workshop and say, well, what music you playing? I'm playing the music that they're listening to. Mm -hmm. Well, we can't do this and this, this, that, the other. So then I was like, yo, I'm going to operate on the block. Cause that's where it came from. So that's, that's how we're going to do it. And, but I feel now you have the, the practitioners and the elders who created it. And for the most part, they're still walking around living and breathing, but yet you have a greater validation attached to text than the experiences that actually birthed the text. Mm. That's like, Oh, it has to be in a book. You have to have done research. Did you get your IRB approval? And what was your control group versus, yo, holler at my man. (laughs) Holler at my sis. Right. Let's dig in the crates. Let's make these connections and this, that, and the other. And I feel like if we create more effective partnerships, then we present learning as a life skill rather than an academic achievement. Mm -hmm. So like the way you talked about your dad, like that would represent, okay, this level of academic attainment and excellence. But that doesn't mean you didn't learn from him being his son and then chose different ways to share your learning. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel that the, the partnership is important because I mean, the fact that you do have people attaining degrees and the culture is being viewed as this relevant field of study is something that's probably beyond the wildest dreams of the early pioneers or even the early fans. Yeah. That the fact that I can say hip hop has you and I talking and to a certain extent, hip hop has you and I talking and we're both seemingly in in nice spots. Like we ain't having a conversation (laughs) on the street. Right. That, that is, that's amazing to me because when I was younger, I never imagined being where I am. Right. And so I'm grateful for that. And, and I also feel a certain level of responsibility to advocate for the genius and the intelligence and the scholarship that's embedded in the culture in the context of which the culture is created versus the context of the classroom then validating the existence of the intelligence, brilliance, and scholarship. Got it. That's an amazing breakdown because I've always wrestled with that. Matter of fact, going back to my dad when I was, you know, starting to be able to form, you know, sentences that could compare to his brilliance. (laughs) You know, I'd have have these these discussions with him about hip hop, about hip hop's validity. You know, he was old blues and jazz and, you know. Uh, a doo-wop guy like and he he was you know we'd have those 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 early talks about well you know there's no melody in hip-hop it's all just you know we'd have those like musicology arguments yeah. and, and i tried and he, he was obviously in the same way like has those cursory uh impressions of hip-hop's lyrical content and mm-hmm. i wish and, and as we got older as i got older we had more nuanced conversations and i think you know he, he was certainly able to to see that but that's what it is. It's that blend that's really super important about this. Yeah, but and I mean, I, but I think it's so. It's it's just like, of course, at the time early on, you know, you're you're coming from the music, and he's and you're having a conversation about music. But right now, based on our careers and the stages where we are, for a generation, what would be a greater study of sociology mm-hmm. than hip hop? Mm-hmm. That's like, okay, if sociology is about the study of human behavior. Of course. Um, I, hello. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, I, um, I, I wish he was, you know, yeah. I was, I was just gonna say, I wish he was still around. He's, he passed a few, uh, about eight years ago now, but, uh, you know, this is where we were going. And I, I believe I would have had a lot yeah, of yeah. great, insightful conversation with him. Conversations. But, but the beauty of it now is that you're the embodiment of both. 
So you get to carry, yeah. You get to carry that on, and yeah. So that's 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 just dope. I just when you said he was in sociology, I was like, yo, that's that's like a layup. Yeah, but that's because <laughs> of sure. where I am now, right? But being a being a kid, I'm just like, yo, I just want to listen to NWA, right? <laughs> right. I was, and again, I didn't go down the the traditional academic route, so I'm glad that I had that, you know, uh, again in my foundation because it did let me lead me down this, this path anyway, which I think, you know, I, I value what I do, so I'll take it. Yeah, no doubt. I was just going to say, uh, also it was interesting. This is an aside. I won't put it in, but, uh, maybe I will. Um, I, I went back and I, I read some of his, uh, his papers just like, you know, bef- you know, I never cared about his damn papers. I knew yeah, he yeah. presented papers all the time and read them. Now I'm reading them. Yes. And, uh, and it was a very, uh, he, he did a study and it was essentially, it was the effectiveness of a sort of culturally relevant or culturally responsive teaching assignment somewhere in some some you know urban inner city school district back in like 76 wow and and when i read it i i I immediately recognized it as oh yeah this this failed because there was a lack of cultural responsiveness or maybe i don't know what it was termed at that time yeah no no without a doubt yeah and i only know that from following the hip-hop based education movement and knowing about dr gloria latson billings and you know chris's work so Mm -hmm. it's really funny how it really does it really was there uh the whole time uh you know for me um and for us, for everyone, it's always been kind of there. Uh, but you, but you also, you, you know that when you're talking about a father and son, or just a, a parent and a child dynamic, it's hard to see them beyond that, right? Until until later on, and, yeah. and different things happen, and then you're like, yo, like he was kind of dope. He like, was he was ahead dope. of the game. Yeah. 100%, 100%. Like, I knew what, I told people, I, said, I knew what gentrification meant when I was seven. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, yeah. You know? And as, and as a white dude on Long Island, you know what I mean? That was, you yeah, know, yeah, that yeah. was really foundational for me for where we ended up now. Yeah, without, without a doubt. So, yeah, yeah. He, he was dope. And, uh, and uh, you know, my muse to this day, I think. You said one thing that's really important. And part of, obviously, why I do all of these things, very often I have these conversations with my father in mind. Or with people, you know, from his generation in mind or from outside of hip hop's cultural influence who don't un- always understand, yeah, yeah. you know, how valuable it is to have hip hop in a in a school setting. And, you know, they, they laugh it off sometimes. It's scoffed at until you show the receipts. Yeah. And um, one of the things I love to point out, which you said briefly, and, and I think you could touch on this from both your work uh, in and out of academic and and community spaces and also as a minister. Uh, because I think one of the things that people don't often get that I'd love to emphasize is that you don't just learn facts from hip hop. You don't just, it's not just a rap song that they put, you know, facts into, or even science genius, which incorporates the, the actual study of the thing into, you know, and you have to have a mastery of the subject to be able to be a, one of those science genius kids. So I get it that it's not just rote memorization being regurgitated. Yes. But what you said was life skills. Mm-hmm. And I love to emphasize that fact about how, you know, hip hop by its nature, just by being a fan or a participant or a lifestyle, you know, inhabitant of, you know, of hip hop culture teaches you things along the way. And I think that yes. people in your position, especially in the community based aspect, know how to refine that and extract that and amplify that. Please explain from your experience how you think hip hop is a uh, really fine teacher of life lessons. So for me, I look at hip hop as one of the greatest examples of synthesis that you took a plus b and you created c whereas the rules of math would say a plus b is either a b or b a so i i use that as a as the foundation to look at hip hop as a philosophy right. like how you took something that other people may have discarded and then created something beautiful. Uh, Hip hop is probably our community's original DIY. There was no instruction manual for making a turntable do what Flash and others were able to make it do. There was not a instruction manual that you could go to Krylon.com and learn how to hold the spray paint can at the right angle to not have it drip or hold it in a way that gives you a thin line and gives you a thick line and how you create this color palette while standing up and spraying and all of those things. There's not an instruction manual for b-boying and all of the, and the, and the other aspects of the art. And then if you think about it, 
Now, if you talk about learner-centered education where you learn from failure, it's about the process. That's hip-hop. It's like, okay, I participated in this B-Boy battle or this MC battle, and I lost. Well, what did I learn from it? Okay, I thought I had this down, but then this crew came and they did this. And so, okay, let me go back and refine that. So for me, it's when I talk to young people, even if you are not desiring to become a practitioner of the culture, whatever field you go into, you need to have that hip hop mindset. Mm -hmm. Because in a business standpoint, a hip hop mindset is viewed as an entrepreneurial mindset. So it's seeing the opportunity that other people may not see until you take advantage of it and then reveal the opportunity to the masses. That's what hip hop is. And so that has been what I use in presenting it in school settings and even from a ministry standpoint, I have a curriculum called Lyrics and Scriptures because one of the things that I have noticed, especially as of late, you find more and more references to spirituality in hip hop music. Right. The context may vary, but it's there. And so if Kendrick is saying something that makes me think of a scripture and the video has 20 million views, it's a good chance that a lot of young people are watching that video that may not be sitting in a traditional Sunday school or sitting in a traditional church. And so if I can create a way to make you better understand the lyric mm-hmm. in the contents of the scripture, and then make you better understand the scripture in the context of the lyric. Now I am building your spiritual media literacy, which is just as important as your regular media literacy and the ability to critically think and apply what your thoughts are. Mm. And so that for me is the same. If you say you're going to preach an effective sermon, there's an element of freestyle that's there. And so, so for me, it's pulling on some of these aesthetics of the culture and just being able to apply it in the different spaces that God has me in, but still holding on to I'm hip hop. I'm more hip hop today than I was yesterday. I'm more hip hop today than I was 10 years ago, even though I am further removed for what most people perceive to be hip hop. So my thing is, let's broaden the definition. Let's broaden the scope. Let young people see, oh, this is what it looks like to be hip hop in your 30s, hip hop in your 40s, hip hop in your 50s, hip hop as a a married man, hip hop as a father, like hip hop as a professional and an entrepreneur, because it's a mindset. So that that's where the, the life skills come into play. That's what I think back to one piece that I wrote. There was maybe a couple of years ago, Lonzo Ball was on the record as saying, being questioned about his taste in music or whatever. And Nas came up and he says, I'm paraphrasing because every article got it wrong, but the paraphrase was that Nas is not relevant anymore. He's not on the radio because he's not relevant. He's not making music. He's not mm-hmm. relevant. And everyone was in an uproar about this. You know, all the, all the old heads, you know, we'd be like, what you yeah, mean? Yeah, Nas you know is always real. Nas is always, you can't, yeah. Nas is the greatest lyricist ever. <laughs> and I said, but here's the real point. He's kind of right. Nas isn't relevant musically in terms of the industry. He's not on the radio with new songs. He's not making a lot of new music. That doesn't mean, however, that he's not relevant. Nas is an incredibly successful venture capitalist. He has a whole venture capital firm. He has a, uh, you know, the the Nazir Jones Fellowship at Harvard University. Right. Yes. Where, exactly. where there are fellows, new fellows every year. Yes. Right. So conducting research, doing all kind of amazing work. That doesn't mean he's not hip hop anymore. That's his relevance as a hip hop artist that, like you said, is older and moved on to a different lane. And so what I what I implore young people to understand is just because you're not relevant on the radio doesn't mean that you're not relevant in hip hop. I agree with that. And I would even push it to say it's so dangerous to allow the radio or any corporate industry like my thing is to define it yes we have to distinguish industry from culture right and the minute that you allow the industry to be the gatekeeper to what you consider culture yeah you're done 100 percent. 
That's the bigger fight. That's the big fight. That, like, that's the bigger fight because the industry is connected to other industries that profit from the destructive cycles that get promoted as commercial hip hop. Facts. They don't want the 16, the 17, the 18, the 19 year old up and coming rapper to see Tim and Manny as relevant to the culture, because if we can sit down and build and break bread together, then I may be able to give them something so that they don't make the same mistakes that I did. Right. 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 And so, you know, so it's to a point where this siloing that is commercial is intentional. So when you say old head versus elder, so it's like you're saying old head as a dismissive term, right? Versus elder being a term of of reverence and wisdom. And so exactly. So if anything, what Lonzo was saying was correct in the context of being short sighted. Yes. We should address the intentional short sightedness. Yes. As opposed to attacking the individual, because I feel we have to take ownership. Right. If we don't want to be called old heads, we can't call them the mumble rap generation and throw them out with the with the bathwater. E- exactly. Exactly. Yep. So it's sort of like, you know, if there's a relationship schism between the parent and the child and the parent is just treating it like it's 50-50, like, well, the child needs it. Like, nah, you the parent. Right. So it's like, yo, of the, of this culture, we're the eldership. Right. We're the ones that's coming in the age. So we got to figure out how do we come to them? How do we respect them? How do we celebrate them? And then as we connect with them, let me show you some of the things that you're actually doing, being influenced by individuals that you didn't even cognitively connect with mm-hmm. because there's a spiritual component to this. Right, right. And so what you think is new, it's really not new. So it's like the music that's coming out today that's focusing on protests and focusing on what's going on in the community. That ain't new. Right. It's new to you. Right. Because commercially, that was almost eradicated. But the spiritual connection of using hip hop as your voice, and we could take this all the way back to spirituals and griots in West Africa, that is in you. So therefore, when your back gets pushed against the wall, when those messages that were deemed as shallow but celebrated don't speak to your soul, you naturally begin to cry out in a way that connects to your ancestors and connects to your elders, even though you didn't intentionally want to make that connection. Mm, in the DNA, right? Yep. And that's that's the power. So you're going to have a little baby make the bigger picture and it could be this generation's fight the power. Yeah. Whether he was thinking of fight the power when he wrote it. Right. And you know what? That whole philosophy, as you say, is really what centers all of these intersections of hip hop, hip hop and education, hip hop and spirituality, hip hop. Without a doubt. It's the same thing. It's saying this is that inner soulful connection yes that will that, that bridges those gaps yes yes which even bridges it to the blues and and other genres yeah you know it's what I mean? so it's kind of like yo it's like listen we just packaged our pain differently but it's still the same yeah and this is how we do which is why i i tell people i could literally find almost every aspect of my being and my work in marvin gaye's what's going on album hmm that's it. And and people know me as much as I love hip hop. If I could only listen to one album. Yeah. It's that it has everything. It inspires me. It moves me. It challenges me. Sometimes I can listen to it and cry. Other times I can listen to it and reflect. It does like that. That's for me. Yeah. And so it moves me forward. So I loved in 98 working with young people and was like, yo, we're going to study what's going on and we're going to compare it to the miseducation. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, we're going to take this and we're going to study this. And and then I would just play in my head like, yo, what if we created a play script where it was the conversation with Marvin and Nas, but the dialogue is only lyrics from what's going on and lyrics from Illmatic. Wow. What would that conversation be like? And then what if Gil Scott Heron entered the room and the dialogue was only from pieces of a man? 
It's kind of br- did you do that? That's kind of brilliant. <laughs> well, no, the, the, the fact that I'm saying it now, I got to do it because this was brilliant. just things that was in my head. So, so it was, it was debuted with my man. That's right, know, Manny Faces. He, he brought it out. He brought it out. So world, 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 world premiere. So like yeah. the, that's the space that I'm in. So it's like, how do we make these? connections i mean that was the beauty of we we just released a 150 song hip-hop ed protest playlist Mm -hmm. because chris put a tweet out there and was like what what would be on your protest playlist and it went from gil scott heron to nina simone to to rhapsody Mm -hmm. to latifah and and all the way up and so just the the brilliance of that and so when you have that piece of collective music. Like we yeah. can do one of them old school time commercials where it's like, we got 107 <laughs> songs on four CDs. And right. did you see the shy lights and right. other things like that? <laughs> right. But like, think about the, the intergenerational conversations that you can have and, and just cross sections that you can have. And so that for me is, is the power of, of music and, and the power of culture is it's life sustaining. Yeah. I appreciate that work. We do it. I have another podcast called Newsbeat, which you might be familiar with. And, okay. and we do that merging social justice journalism. We cover the issues. The entire episode has interviews. We've had Dr. Cornell West on. We'd have Rosa Clemente on. We've had, you know, Larry Ham on. We've had a bunch of, you know, luminaries on there. And those interviews are woven under a bed of, of music, of hip hop music, setting a mood like a score. Gotcha. And then we invite independent hip hop artists to drop three sixteens throughout the half hour episode. We intersperse it. Oh, that's dope. That's dope. And they'll, so if we're right, if we have an episode about the movement to close youth prisons, Silent Night, my man from uh, Brooklyn and New Jersey is going to drop three verses about the movement to close youth prisons. He's going to refer back to some of the stuff that the interviewees were talking about. And he's going to talk about some stuff from his own perspective as an artist, as a, you know, black man living in, you know, in, in America. Oh, that's what's up. I need the link of that so I can uh, promote it on, on Hip Hop Edge channels to direct some people there, especially. Uh, I think there's going to be a need for a lot of robust content that is accessible remotely because of what's going on in schools and stuff like that. So yeah, the, uh, the episodes have been used in, in school. We have a uh, we'll, we'll talk more offline. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. the point is, is that we felt as journalists, I come from a, a journalism background and I work with real, real journalists, uh, but I've always worked with independent hip hop artists, either covering them on my own, you know, doing Birthplace Magazine and other journalistic outlets that I created. And I said, well, here's sort of a schoolhouse rock, you know, way of, of doing things. No doubt. Know? Let's, no let's doubt. It, no let's, doubt. Let's work the music in. Obviously, hip hop is going to be front of mind for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've been doing it to some acclaim and and the point is is that it's that intersectionality it's that respecting culture respecting rap artists as having just as much to say about a topic as acclaimed experts and activists in the field doing the work yes that they're just as important they're the documentarians of our time yes uh and they should be treated as thus so we've done it it's it's sort of what you're talking about it's all kind of ties in you know, that's why I'm just excited to talk to you because you, you touch on so many of these things with what you do, especially the way you break down how um, your lyrics and scriptures program is set up. That's important. And you know, a lot of people will not look at hip hop as a vehicle for spiritual enlightenment. You know, it's obs- <laughs> we know it is, but, you know, we also know why other people won't see that all out of the gate. But it, well, it, it no, I, but also I, I believe I believe that that ideally you flourish when you're operating in particular lanes that, you know, God has given us certain talents and gifts and is what we choose to do with them. There's a certain level of insight and way of thinking that I know comes from spending that time meditating and thinking and seeing things in a way that others may not see. And then it's praying for the courage to present those correlations, knowing that some still may not see it, but the one or two that do, then it's for them. So it's sort of the parable of you leave the 99 sheep to go after the one. So however you needed to coerce that one, that's what it is that you do because you don't know who that one will be able to, to reach. And, and honestly, it was a way for me to be at peace with my faith and spiritual walk, but still being in hip hop because like, well, how can I say I'm 
a minister if every song I'm listening to <laughs> is talking about things that go against what it is that you're telling me. Sure. But then it's understanding that, okay, when you say go to the highways and the hedges, well, you got to be able to go to where the people are. And I feel like, okay, well, if you, I know you're sending me to, to these young people that it, this, there's just a warmness that I feel when I connect with them. I don't think I should abandon the one thing that solidified my connection to them, but I am careful to not try to become one of them to connect with them. So right. that's where some adults make the mistake that it's like, yo, I got, I'm going to try to walk like you, dress like you. Right. I'm going to try to be down just like you because they think that's the only way. Whereas the truth of the matter is young people already have enough friends. Right. They don't need me to be their IG friend for the sake of counting their friends. They, they need me to be my full self so that they know there's somebody that they can talk to. There's somebody that they can look at his path and be like, okay, you know, even though like, okay, I might say I'm not a role model, but I walk a hard path to follow, <laughs> but I'm going to leave the lights on so you can see the footprints and then also leave the lights on wide enough so you don't necessarily have to follow my footprints, but you can see the whole trail and you can navigate and make it your own. So it's about creating those relationships. So now the oldest teen that I ever worked with, he is now 41. Him and I have been tight since he was 17. So I literally have almost two generations that I've been graced to be able to interact with so I embody the best of them, and, and it's my prayer that they embody the best of me, and we are an extended family that continues to push each other. And hip-hop is at the core. Yep, without a doubt. Hip-hop's at the core. It's good for that. That's it. Yeah, and then you think about it, there was a time that they told you and I, oh, this is a fad. Yeah. But, you know, we grayed up and chilling, and we still talking about hip-hop, and still talking about it as, like, this is the dominant voice. So I love that. Yeah. That, that's great. Yeah. Where's the fad now, dad? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, yo, but honestly, I feel like it's impacted the aging process. Mm. You know, it's like, cause I feel like you could choose to age like the radio dial and slide all the way down to smooth jazz, <laughs> no shade to smooth jazz. Right. And you could decide that it's like, yo, I'm staying right here in the pocket right. and I'm going to stay creative. I'm going to stay innovative and stay youthful in my approach, but not using it as the kind of a showmanship to try to fit in. Yeah. So that's, that's really what it is. It seems to work. I think you got the receipts to show it. I think that your work is valuable. No I, I really appreciate you for what you do. I appreciate that. I appreciate what you do as well and having me on. Yeah, man. It's a long time coming. I'm, I'm glad we had this talk and uh, it really opened up my eyes to a lot of, you know, the stuff you do and, and how it came to be. Yep. I think it's a very inspirational set of footprints, sir. Thank you. Yeah. So we'll pass it on. We'll let people know what's going on real quick. I know, obviously, Hip Hop Ed every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. 9 p.m. Eastern time. You can follow us on Twitter at The Real Hip Hop Ed. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at TDJ6899. Hit me there. Uh, LinkedIn is, is Timothy Jones. Uh, the company is Techniques for Learning. The email is my full name, Timothy David Jones at Gmail. And let's continue to build. That's what's up. I encourage everyone to check out all the stuff that you do. Uh, I follow it. And obviously, that's why we're here, man. I want to tell people about it. So thank you again for your time. No doubt. Uh, thank you. We will link up again, I'm sure. Yes, this is just the beginning. Yeah. No doubt. And no hopefully doubt. in real life as we emerge from yeah, this Yeah, I'm looking forward. Madness. I mean, once we, once we emerge from this, like, it's funny, man. You, you think about it. We're going to be so happy just to see each other. Man, listen. You know, in, in, in physical, just to be like, yo, that's you. Like, oh, my goodness. But, but if you think about it, we've all learned a greater appreciation for certain aspects of community yeah. that honestly we have been taken for granted. So there's always good that can come out of what it was and is a very uh, traumatic situation. hundred percent. We, you know, there's always uh, opportunity from hardship. And again, you're right. I, I used to RSVP to things and then not go. And you know I mean? Like now I'll go to everything. I can't wait to go to things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no doubt. All right, my man, in the meantime, in between time, be safe, be well, uh, all the best to you and yours. And thank you again for your time. Likewise. Thank you as well. Peace. 
Once again, I'm Manny Faces, and I thank you for listening to Hip Hop Can Save America, aka the world's smartest hip hop podcast. If you appreciated this episode, please take a moment to rate and review us at ratethispodcast.com slash hip hop. That's ratethispodcast.com slash hip hop. Easy to remember and very helpful to the cause. In addition, you can support the show and get some special offers at patreon.com slash Manny Faces. Every penny goes into being able to continue this and other work that advocates for the use of hip hop music and culture to improve society and uplift humanity. Now, this show was created, edited, produced, and hosted by me under my production company, Manny Faces Media, in association with the Center for Hip Hop Advocacy. And fun fact, I also produced the theme song. For more about my projects, including the award-winning social justice podcast, Newsbeat, information about my public speaking, my upcoming event calendar, and more, visit my online home base at mannyfaces.com. For all things Hip Hop Can Save America, visit hiphopcansaveamerica.com. Thank you for listening, sharing, supporting, and showing love. Appreciate y'all. We're out. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's most important hip hop podcast. My name is Manny Faces. You can find out more about the show at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can watch the show now as a live stream on YouTube, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Check back for all the replays as well. The interviews from the live stream will be brought here onto the audio feed, so you always get the best of the live stream. You can also check out our Substack newsletter. It's free at mannyfaces.substack.com filled with stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and in general, hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. <laughs> Eternal shouts to our consulting producer, Summer McCoy. Be sure to check out her dope initiatives, Hip-Hop Hacks, and the Mixtape Museum. We'll be back soon with another dope episode, but check us out on the live stream as well. Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Until next time, it's Many Faces wishing peace and love to you and yours.